been a crazy week. I, I was thinking as Olivia, uh, when Jennifer, I mean, when Heather asked the, uh, for Olivia to be prayed over, I was just thinking about how you pray for a little child to have a legacy. What's that look like? Right? Because you ain't really got figured out how to make it to the potty on time yet. But we're talking about legacy. Um, lots of people have stories, but not many leave a legacy. I was uh, last night actually in Seattle, and uh, it's cool what airplanes can do. Um, so I'm back this morning, but I got to be at my father-in-law's funeral, and they had me close the funeral, and I got to tell some of his story. And so it, it's really kind of surreal to pray over a young child and, and just pray over an 88-year-old that just passed, to see the, the two ends of that. They did a little slideshow that walked through his life, and it was just, it, it was simple, not extravagant man, um, but it was constant pictures of, of this guy that uh, loved his kids and loved his wife and loved God and loved his neighbors. And at the end of the day, you got to go, well done, right? Well done. Loved his wife for 60 years. That takes some doing, right? We, we've all, some of us have experienced that the hard way. Um, and I think, I think what, what struck me, because I know him, I know his daughter, I know him well, I know who he is, I know that he's got flaws, and I know what some of the flaws are. One of the classic stories of Mr. Stewart is they TP'd his house one time when, he was, when, when Cheryl was in high school. I don't know if my wife caused this or not. If you don't know what TPing is, I'm, I can't explain it. All right? It's short for toilet paper. But anyway, um, they TPed at his house, and I mean, he is a penny pincher, right? Some people want to say they stretch a nickel. He's a penny pincher. And uh, so what he did was he took the toilet paper out of the yard, put it in a box by his toilet, <laughs> and recycled it. I will go no further. I mean, Cheryl gets that stuff honest. <laughs> Here's the beauty, though. He, he, he pinched pennies, but he was generous with dollars, right? Here's a guy, man, he, he, he didn't use much. Matter of fact, he reused stuff. But if you talk to missionaries around the world, you could find that they know this man named James Stewart because he saved money so that he could give money because he centered his life around Jesus. He just worked hard and centered his life around Jesus. Nobody wrote a book about him. There's no movie about him. Not even a YouTube video. But he centered his life around Jesus. One of the classic stories I heard this week was he, he, uh, when, he, when he met Jesus, he started memorizing this. He memorized verses, and he would write these little cards out. This is before iPhones. For some of you young people, never can't even imagine this. He'd write them on three-by-five cards, and he'd memorize them on the way to work. He's got, like, this box full of three-by-five cards. And one morning on the way to work, before he even got out of the neighborhood, he was already memorizing a verse, and he ran into the back of another car, <laughs> parked car. <laughs> because he's trying, this is before texting, baby. This is, there ought to be a rule against memorizing or something. But it, it, there's this cool idea. Here's an 88-year-old that none of y'all know or would ever know, right? But centered his life around Jesus, and he left a legacy. 
I got to see that legacy at the funeral. And we're praying for little Olivia that she would leave a legacy. And that the people around them will be affected because she knows how to love. And that's what we're doing here at Radius White. No, if it's your first time, that's what we're doing. <laughs> Bunch of flawed people in the room. We could all stand up and tell you what's wrong with us and how we screwed up in the past. But what we're accounting on is that the God of the universe, through his son Jesus, is transforming us so that we could leave a legacy, that we could love the people in our radius so that they might change. We might bless them and change ourselves. And so one of the ways we do that is by studying this book, this book that's uh, pretty old now. And we're, we're reading one little book inside the book. As a matter of fact, it's just a letter. If you could have seen it back in the day, it was probably dictated to one of Paul's friends and they probably, hopefully they had better handwriting than me or wrote in all caps like I do if somebody's got to read what I write. And, and they wrote it out in Greek. And he's got these, these little churches. It could have been, it could have been uh, the radius churches from the Midlands, all right? It could have been, but it was, it was the churches in Galatia, which is a little region. There's probably four or five little churches. And, and Paul, who planted those churches, wrote a letter to them. He's giving them some instruction. So it's written in Greek, and you could, you could fit this in an envelope, and you wouldn't even have to add a stamp right now. I mean, it's just, it's just a couple pages, and he writes it to these people, and, and he wrote multiple ones of these to different churches that he planted through the years. He's just giving them instruction. I don't know if you, if you weren't here last week. Th this letter starts a little different than the other letters. He, he's real sweet to them when he walks in the door, and then all of a sudden, you know how, how your dad is. It's different. Your dad kind of says the right thing first, but he's, he's loaded and ready to say the next thing because you've been acting out. This little church been acting out. They've come, to, come under some influence where they're going the wrong direction. And so he says, hey, how y'all doing? Uh, Jesus loves you. And then, wham, he, he starts punching because he's afraid for them and afraid for the, the route that they're taking, the dangerous route that they're taking. And so we got into verse 6, and we, we kind of had to hustle through that. So I, I, he, he gives the good news about Jesus really clear in verse 3. In verse 6, he, uh, he addresses this idea of good news and how it's being polluted or added to. Let me read it to you. I read it last week. Let me read it. I'm shocked. My mama always said shocked. So when a man says shocked, you know, my mama was shocked a lot of days by what we did. But, but Paul is, he's angry. I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through loving mercy of Christ. You feel that? You ever done that? Oh, y'all just believed. I saw you. I saw you get baptized. I was there. I remember. Paul's saying to, to his friends, people he loves, and, and you're so quickly turning away. I think one of the translations uses the word desert, like a deserter in the military that runs from the front lines and goes a different direction. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news. But it is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. I'll give you a little explanation in a minute. Let's, let God's curse fall on them. The NLT says it a whole lot nicer. NLV says, NIV says, uh, 
May you be eternally condemned. The Greek word's anathema. We, we said it last week, which is just strong. NLT is making it kind of sweet. And Paul's a little harsher than that. And if you were to translate it pretty literally, you could say he's literally saying, why don't you go to hell? He's serious as he gets. In anything he ever writes, this little passage is as hot as he gets. And I'm going to tell you why. Because they're destroying the gospel, the good news that brought freedom to people that had never been free before. He says, who preaches a different type of good news than the one preached to you. I say again, we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Earlier in verse 8, he says, including us, even if it's us, or even an angel from heaven comes and adds to the good news, then throw it out, right? So what's he saying? Why is he so hot? Why is he mad? Are the people down in the clubs at night? Well, what's going on in Galatia? Has the whole church decided to go celebrate at the clubs? Everybody's having a good time, getting wasted. Is that what's going on? No, that's happening in Corinthians. All right, you can read Corinthians. That's what they're doing. And he's a little mad at them. All right, he's like, what y'all doing? Craziness going on in Corinth. But in Galatia, it's a whole nother thing. They got religious. All right? They're starting to think that they're all that, and they've begun to add to the gospel. As a matter of fact, this group of folks called the Judaizers have come in, and they've begun to add to the good news about Jesus. What's the good, what's the best part of the good news about Jesus? He did it all. We do it every Sunday. We have communion back there in the back. It's a little crowded because we're going to eat afterwards, but we, we celebrate that Jesus did it all, and we couldn't do anything to have a relationship with God the Father. Jesus did it all by dying on the cross and breaking his body and shedding his blood. And what began to happen is these folks came in and they took that part of the gospel and they mixed a little extra something in there. Let me just make it really clear. The gospel, the simplicity of the cross, the burial and the resurrection, if you add a little bit to it, it's no longer the good news. It's not the gospel anymore. If you've got to wear the right clothes to church, you add that to the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. That's terrible news. I've got to go buy more clothes, and it's all up to, to somebody else's standard other than God's. It's some random standard. If it's about whether you, anything you want to add to it, and that's what they do. They began to take the law from the Old Testament, and they would mix it in. They told all the guys they had to be circumcised, who hadn't been circumcised, full-grown men. Bro, I might protest a little bit on that myself, <laughs> right? I won't go into detail. But it's just Tim, uh, Titus in a few, few chapters, he's going to say, no, nah, I ain't doing that, right? I believe the gospel. Jesus paid it all. I won't have to do this extra stuff. They began to talk about what they eat. They couldn't eat ham anymore. They were messing with people living in Antioch. They've been eating good, some good bacon their whole life. And all of a sudden, these guys come in and said, you got to believe in Jesus, but you also can't eat bacon anymore. 
That would kill some folks, and there'd be withdrawal in Red Bank. We'd lose folks on a daily basis. We'd shut down brunches down the street. Nobody would go anymore. That's, that's what's going on. They completely changed the definition of the good news. It was what Jesus did plus what I did equals salvation, which is a horrible lie that leads straight to hell because we cannot perform. We can't keep it in on the tracks and Paul's furious about it and so he's hammering the folks at Galatia that stuff creeps into churches in South Carolina if you ain't figured it out it'll creep in ours unless we fight for all we got to keep it out and we'll start competing with one another and then people start talking about one another because the idea is to try to figure out who's better than the other one I'm telling you right now you're all losers you couldn't get it and I'm in there, right? We are all losers. It's more fun saying you are all losers, but we are all losers, all right? That is the only hope we got, the cross of Christ. None of us, not one of us, has the right to walk into God's presence without that cross, no matter how you lived. Paul doesn't want that stuff coming in. He knows what it does. You know what it does if you grew up in this area. It's ugly. It confuses people. Some of y'all are back at church for the first time because you grew up seeing that stuff. I'm trying not to use other words. So he says, anathema. Maybe eternally condemned. And then he jumps to this, this great little verse. It's like a transition verse because in a minute he's going to tell his story just like we prayed for Olivia's story and we just talked about Mr. Stewart's story. Um, he's just got this little transition verse which is really interesting. It's actually powerful. I think it, it should hit everyone. Listen to what he says. Obviously, he says of himself, I'm not trying to win the approval of people but of God. Paul's like, I could never be the president right because I don't know how to win the approval of people if pleasing people were my goal I would not be Christ's servant what's that mean it's a little bit a little bit straightforward <coughs> evidently following Jesus and pleasing people just don't go together they're like oil and water Paul saying hey I know y'all are mad at what I'm saying. You don't like it that I'm saying that you, can't, that you can't eat ham anymore. But I'm not trying to please you. I'm trying to please God. I'm standing up for what God says, and I'm betting my life on the truths that God has given me. He's going to explain that more in a minute. Anybody else in this room struggle with pleasing people? Am I the only one? You remember in middle school, first time I ever heard the word peer pressure? You just got this pressure. In elementary school, it's like you're clueless, right? You're just clueless. You, about fifth grade, you start getting clued in. In elementary school, all life is good. You're not comparing. You're just rolling. Everybody's cool. Dumb kids, smart kids. Just, like, we're not worried about it. We're just all hanging out. It's all good. You get to middle school, and all of a sudden, this comparison thing, and, and, and the peer pressure, whatever your group was. If you were in a smart group, you had to get the outstanding grades. You were in an athletic group, you had to, you know, if you were, in, and I'm not going to, I got to be careful where I go with the groups, right? But anyway, whatever group you were in, there was a way you performed to impress your peers. 
And for some of us, that influenced a big part of our life. I wish that stuff went away when you got 47, right? Still feel this pressure from people. If you're on social media, it's really hard to say, man, I stunk today. (laughs) I did everything wrong today. Generally, we post, everybody did something wrong to me today. You you notice how nobody ever posts how sorry I was today? It just doesn't make for a good post because it doesn't really impress anybody. You, know, you get like one and a half likes for that, right? And it's only your wife or your grandma or your mother, right? It's like, I still love him. <laughs> he stinks. But uh, Paul says that's not, if, if you really want to follow Jesus, you can't try to impress men because trying to impress men with your lives means you worship men and you don't worship God. In essence, he's saying, my life's about pleasing God, and I'm going to make God the center, and I'm not going to allow mankind to change when I need to be right. Does that mean, we, we talk, we've talked for weeks about loving our neighbors. We want to go out of our ways to give of ourselves to our neighbors. We want to humble ourselves and give our stuff away to others. That's, that's what Radius is all about. But when the pressure is to go the wrong way, we want to stand up. We want to stand with what Jesus would do. In in this case, he's not talking about going to the clubs, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about becoming religious. He's saying, I want you to hang your hat on the bread and juice, on the broken body of Jesus and and the cross. I don't want you to hang your hat on the rules, on what translation. If you're sweating the translation I'm using today, you're probably one of them. All right? We can talk afterwards. I can explain to you. It's going to be a hard conversation. <laughs> if you're sweating the details, you're probably one of them. I was one of them. And on given days, I still am. On days when I'm really insecure in Christ, I want to compare my batting average to yours. And if I'm batting 299, I feel really good. The problem is there's no admittance to heaven batting 299. My baseball illustration just went over your head. I'm sorry. Um, I got to tell you, this, this process, I share a little bit in my own life. When I started studying Galatians and reading some, as I stopped competing with other believers and started partnering with other believers, there was a freedom that I never want to give away. Never. In our little body, and I could tell you for the leaders in here, we will fight for that. If there's just 10 of us left, we're not going to give away our freedom because um, it changes stuff. People always talk about it. If you're new, people, people, people talk about it here. We're simple folks, but there's a freedom about us because of the grace of Jesus Christ. You know what? Doing what's right sometimes just means you do your job, right? It's not just about being uh, moral. It's not just about not being grabbed by the law, but sometimes it just means you're at work and you're getting paid to work, and so you work. That's what's right. That's what looks like Jesus, and that comes out of the Holy Spirit within you, and you're not going to cheat your boss regardless of how your boss rolls. We're just going to work, and at the end of the day, the community (laughs) looks... They want to hire people like you because you just work. That looks like Jesus. We control our tongues even when the boss may not get it all right. 
And then we look like the people of God. Paul's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna roll with the people at work that are always talking smack about the boss. I'm gonna do what's right. And then he tells a story. I'll read it to you. We'll take a little time in it and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up. Dear brothers and sisters, I love the language of the early church. He calls them brothers and sisters. They were just tight. I want you to understand the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. No one taught me. Instead, I received it in direct revelation from Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know his story, but one day Paul has been persecuting the church. He's going to explain it. And God grabbed him on the road to Damascus. Like a 150-mile road. He's riding a donkey. And God, I mean, I, well, maybe we can tell the story in length at some point, but God just confronted him, and he believed. I don't know how to say this, but if God's never confronted you, you probably don't know Jesus. I said it. I said it. If you've never had a moment when God confronted you, you probably don't have a relationship with God. Because Paul has spent his whole life studying the Word of God. He has the first five books of the Old Testament memorized, most likely. He's a Pharisee. He does all that he can to be moral. So he would have been the cleanest cat in the room, except that he executed Christians. But he thought he was doing the right thing. Right? He'd be the clean. There's none of us could compare apples with Paul. But he says, finally, God came to me. It doesn't have to be dramatic. It could be in your car driving to Augusta later today. It could be in your bedroom. But at some point, in order to have a relationship with God and not just intellectual understanding, there has to be a contact between you and God that looks like a relationship and doesn't look like something that you learned or memorized. And Paul, one of the reasons he's saying this, one, he's arguing for his authority because his authority is coming from God, not from man. But two, the whole way the religious world works is if you can memorize the right things and have the right answers and be the quickest to have the right answers, then you're the right one. Well, why do we love that? Because I can work at it. And that's just the same way everything else in the world works. The gospel is counterintuitive. It goes the other way. It's, it goes completely opposite of everything in the world. It's grace that saves us. We do nothing to gain it. And so there has to be this moment where God grabs us. And Paul says, God grabbed me. You know what I was like? I followed the Jewish religion, how violently I per, uh, persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was... I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. He's like, I was the A-plus student. I was the valedictorian in the Jewish schools. I, got, I, I was the home run hitter on the baseball team. I was the best of the best to the point of literally trying to kill out anybody who was not us, a part of Judaism, or felt like they polluted it because Jesus said he was Messiah. I want to wipe them out. That's how dedicated, that's how zealous I was. <clears throat> and then Jesus confronted me. 
And he says, even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Did he know Jesus when he was killing Christians? No, I don't think so. But there's like, there, there seems to be, Paul wrestles with this battle that's gone on in his heart for a long time. Maybe not just that moment when God finally confronted him. He laid his life down and he completely laid his life down to follow Jesus. God came and got Paul. And I think as we tell the gospel, that's what he does to all of us. He comes and gets you. You don't go and get him. Has he come and got you? Or you like Paul. Paul probably he's got some years under his belt, been pushing this thing off for a long time, been trying, trying, trying. And finally, he let Jesus come in the door that he's been banging on. What about you? Well, yeah, it's okay, man. We're among friends here. A lot of us fought Jesus off for a while. You've been fighting for a long time. It's embarrassing. I had this great friend who I thought was a believer one day come up to me and goes, oh, I got saved last week. And I'm like, really? Because, oh, your teeth were brushed all the time. That joke was always straight. He never did anything wrong. It didn't seem like, but he goes, I just didn't know Jesus. I just knew how to live. He says that he was saved by God's marvelous grace. That's a church word. Anybody know what that word means? I wrote down a definition. I'll give it to you. It's one Keller uses. I thought it was a simple one I've heard many times, but he expands it a little bit. Grace is the free, unmerited favor of God. I like free in there. I've always called it unmerited favor. Unmerited is a great word, which means we can't earn it. I can't get enough stars to get it. It's free, and it's unmerited. Grace is the free, unmerited favor of God working powerfully on the mind and heart to change lives. It's a bunch of us that grace has come and rescued, and we didn't do anything to deserve it, but it chased us down. Got this phone call this week. Actually, it was a text. Then it connected to a phone call because as we text, which I'm not very good at, by the way. I, I love the little read into the phone thing when that thing works for me. And uh, so I read a couple things in the second text and the third text, and I started getting hotter. I don't know. You ever, you ever get mad on text? I, I never go all caps, all right, because that's just like you got to be furious to go all caps on somebody. So I never, never go all caps. I'm getting a little, little frustrated. This person I'm texting with I know really well, and they're quoting verses out of the Bible. Uh, one of them was in 1 Corinthians, and, and one was another. And, and they're really passing judgment on somebody in a really improper kind of way. So I'm getting madder. And finally, this is what you need to do when you're really mad. Dial the number, all right? Don't, don't go all text. When people are like confrontation, that's just weak, all right? Don't write an email, bro. That's like weak. Who writes an email in a confrontation, right? That's because you want to run, right? I want to talk. I matter if I'd rather drive and see you. But these people were thousands of miles away, so I could not. They were throwing a, a guy under the bus who really was out of line with God, but they were doing it in a very religious, stuck-up kind of way. There was no grace in it. They used the verses in context. They knew how the Bible worked. They were using the verses in context. 
They weren't stretching them. But there didn't seem to be any Holy Spirit in what they were reading. It just, as I heard them talk about it, you could feel it. Like, ugh, it feels, feels ugly. You ever been in that spot? You ever been, see, have you ever been that person? I have. Somehow I got stuck up on what I knew. And then you start talking about this thing with a haughtiness that's ugly. And it pushes people away as opposed to attracts people to Jesus. But it was cool. They, once, once I got a little hotter and we had a little exchange, they, they said they were sorry. Then they, they agreed. And that was beautiful, right? That's grace. And now I can give them grace because they heard from me. And, and there was this, this moment of sanity. Well, we need some of that in Red Bank. We need it bad. We need some people that know how to give away grace that are really, really, really hard to offend, right? Because they know who they are in Jesus. If somebody says something about you, you can let it roll off your back because you know who you are. We're supposed to be the most gracious people because we have a gracious God, and every Sunday, we do it every Sunday because we don't want to forget what we're given. This gift from Jesus. He says that he's saved by marvelous grace. Then it pleased him. And that's a really crazy phrase. He's speaking about God. It pleased God to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. So not only did he, his marvelous grace come and give me something I couldn't earn, he figured it out before I was born. He, he came, he did all the work and saved me, and then he had a job for me. And my job... Paul's saying, is to go to the Gentiles. I'm a Jew. I'm the staunchest Jew. God had a centric humor. He took the guy who has the whole Old Testament, I mean the whole Pentateuch memorized, and he said, go talk to those people that don't speak Hebrew. That's what I want you to do, right? I want you to go over there and love them. Here's what I'm going to say to you today. Everybody in the room, you don't have the job. Paul's a capital A apostle. You come in here saying you're going to do that, we're going to throw you out, all right, just because there ain't no more of them. But everybody in here has got a job. <laughs> this is the kingdom of God. We're talking about the king saving you on purpose. And he didn't save you so you could be happy. He saved you because he loved you. And, and then there's this, there's this job you got to expand his kingdom. And he's got one for you. I don't know what it is. For Paul, it was, it was a rough job, and he did it really well. Part of my job is starting churches. If I don't do that, I'm being disobedient. What's your job? Nah, it doesn't have to look like that. What's your job? Mr. Stewart, his job was he was going to love that lady until he died. He raised five kids. He taught them the scriptures. He spent a lot of time with God. He gave a lot of money away by not spending it on himself. Ain't nobody writing any books about it. Pretty darn good life lived, though. Paul was set apart from birth, and he had to rise to that. What's God calling some of you younger guys in the room? What's he calling you to? We don't know yet. But the idea is, could I put all of my desires under his leadership? And I want to line up with what he's called me to do. Changes everything. Let me read on. 
When this happened, I did not rush to consult with, with any human being. He's saying, I heard this from God. I didn't need to ask somebody. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with the apostles before I, uh, before I was. Instead, I went into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then, three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15. I love this. And I went over to Pete's house, and I stayed for 15 days, right? Until his wife is tired of me eating their food, and she and sent me on. I mean, these are real people, right? These ain't like, they don't have like halos over their head. I went over and stayed with Peter. But, but did you catch the part about going to Arabia? He wasn't out there looking for horses. I think they got good horses in Arabia. They call them Arabians. But anyway, they, he, he went to Arabia, and then he went to the mountain. What's he doing? Spending time with God. Hey, you had an Arabia moment? It's, it's, it's a... And I, I, I don't want to make this too strong a statement, but there's this season early in the life of a follower of Jesus where there's a beautiful time often if you will set aside time to be with Jesus and reflect on him and who he is, it's way more important than doing stuff. And out of that foundation of time, later you get to do stuff. I had that. I had three or four years where I had some people building into me, and I had a lot of time in this book. If, if, you haven't, if you haven't found a small group here, and you don't know Jesus very well, and you just knew you ought to get in one, it could be this season. Those small group leaders, and our, our bunch of small group leaders are studs. And they could take you down the road to understanding this book. and understand. It's, it's kind of, they're not going to ask you to do anything. They might, they might ask you to do something, but like bring something to eat. I don't, I don't. But, but what we're saying is it starts with being with Jesus before you start doing stuff with Jesus, right? We're we, glad you brought food today. We love it. Especially I saw some banana pudding right back there. I'm on, I'm, I, you got to scout this stuff out early, right? So the banana pudding's right on that back table, right? Thank you for bringing that. But that's a cool way to serve. It's a good way to give stuff away to our community. We want you to volunteer to come serve this school here in a few days. That's a fun time for us. We're going to boil some more peanuts and give it to the, to the high school kids when football season comes back again. But we really want you to be with Jesus because we think that changes everything. That's what the scripture says, changes everything. Paul, the ultimate guy, took three years before he went to work. He just spent time with God. And I imagine much of what he's teaching comes out of that three years in Arabia where it's just him and God hanging out. You may want to write that in your notes. I don't know where Arabia even is, so I don't know if you can go there, right? You probably going to have to keep your job and pay for your kids to eat. But you may want to block some time and find a good podcast and listen to it and, and, and focus more time on knowing Jesus. You may want to find somebody in this body, and I know a bunch of people who would, to meet you for breakfast and read through this with them. There's a few new ladies Bible studies starting up, and they're watching a video of Beth Moore, who sometimes has like an 80s hairdo. It's hilarious, and, and she's yelling and stuff, but she's outstanding. She teaches the Word. It's a great time to study the Bible together with some ladies. In order to do something, you got to be, got to know Jesus. And Paul did his time. Then, boy, did he get a lot done. He said he went and hang out with Peter, and he hang out with James, the Lord's brother. And I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north to the province of Syria and Sicilia. 
and still the Christians in the churches in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was what the people were saying. The one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And what did they do? They praised God because of me. And just a little bit, we're going to do a baptism right out there. <laughs> we got like this little pool you feed cows in, right? I mean, that's what it is. It ain't nothing pretty. These jokers were getting in rivers full of dirt. Uh, it wasn't like this beautiful setting with a rainbow at the end of it, right? It was, this, it was this moment when they were showing the world that their life had been given over to Jesus. And they were changed. And, and, and the cool part about being baptized in dirty water is you literally disappear, right? <laughs> like so, so when somebody's baptized, they're alive, and now... They're dead. They're underwater. They're, not, they're dead. It's a picture. We're not going to hold you underwater. Any Y'all don't go. I'm getting scared. They're, they're underwater. They disappear. They live like they're buried. And when they come up, it's like a resurrection. It's the beauty of the whole thing is the coming up. They come up out of the water. And there's this resurrection. And that's when you clap and you give hugs even though they're wet because we're celebrating new life. Paul's life's been changed. He used to be the guy. Remember, we got some people that have been baptized here that used to be the guy. People used to be scared to death of Paul. But God changed him. And so the people celebrate. That's what we, we're doing. That's why we're going to eat. That's why we're going to have a, a, a big hangout time because we're celebrating folks that have given their lives to Jesus and, and their sins, literally, who they used to be is dead. And they come back a new person. Now, does that happen in that water? Any special water, we got it right out of the spigot. I washed my hands with it just a minute ago. It's not special. The Holy Spirit is the one who transforms a man or a woman. And we're going to witness that with those folks in just a little bit. We also do this bread and juice in the back so that we won't forget the gift that was given us in Jesus. So part of our worship, the band's going to come in just a second and lead us down that road. We, we do this weekly. It's not a rule. We can't put a verse on that. We just like to. Not a rule against it. So we, we're going to, so because every time I take that bread and juice, it reminds me that Jesus' body was broken on my behalf. If you can do it with me, uh, we do this baptism. If you can squeeze out there, or even if while the music's going, if you want to go grab your kids and let them watch because it's a great experience for a child. Celebrate hard when they come up out the water, all right? I mean, we're going to watch the Masters this afternoon. If that little kid, the young kid wins, some of y'all are going to party in your house. We're talking about life to death here. So it's just a celebration. Hugs all around, come in and eat, and it should be a different atmosphere because we're celebrating. So celebrate with us. Let me pray. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for just real people that wrote it, that you're spirit-inspired, and they could give us words to talk about and give us some authority that we don't have on our own. Thank you for this little book of Galatians. I know that many in this room uh, have grown up in church, and there's this temptation to compete there's this fear walking in the door that somebody's looking at them. 
looking through them. Lord, we want to beat that out of us. We pray your spirit would free us from that. We don't want that anymore. We don't want people to walk in here feeling that way. Pray, Holy Spirit, you would, you would teach us how to be free with one another. And in the process, Lord, as we fall more and more in love with you, we, we, we would want to live in a way that we're in love with you. God, there's some wounds in this room that's been done through the years to folks by the religious. And some would sit in this room and have an excuse and say that they wouldn't follow you because, because of what they've seen the church do. Lord, take their eyes off the church. You know we're a mess. And let them see you, Jesus, the one who gives stuff away, who is gracious and loves them and is willing to give them life at no cost. Lord, that concept is so beyond us. Nothing in our whole world works that way. It goes the opposite way our minds go. I pray that your spirit would explain it. Lord, these... Uh, Five folks are going to be baptized. I don't know what my experience has been. Once they're baptized, that day is tough. Often, agree with me, please, on this, people, and pray with me. Often, the enemy seems to uh, chase after them, just right after. I pray that you give them peace for the next 48 hours, that you would battle against the enemy, that they could enjoy this moment with their family and friends, and that you would uh, make this a marker on their road to having a legacy, a true story of a life centered around you, Jesus. Listen to us as we worship. We pray in your name. Amen.